How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Amen. Uh, Open your Bibles with me or your phones or just look at the screen. We're going to look at the book of Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts chapter 11. Uh, What verses do I have here? Acts chapter 11. Yeah, starting at verse 2. Acts chapter 11, verse 2. I'm going to read this. Now, don't be scared. I'm going to read this out of the King James Version this morning. The King James Version. Okay? There's a reason why. You'll see. Verse 2. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, slay and eat. This is the New King James. It should be the King James, but that's okay. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. That's good. Let's stop right there. My, the title of my message to you today is Rise, Slay, Eat. Rise, Slay, Eat. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. Give us minds to understand and hearts to believe. And give us a will to respond. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now in this passage of scripture, Peter finds himself in trouble. He's in trouble because he went to a place that he was not supposed to go. And he hung out with some people that he was not supposed to hang out with. And at that time, if you got in trouble with the church, you had to come to the church and you had to explain to the church. Imagine getting in trouble and having to come here and stand up in front of the whole congregation and give an account for your ways. See, accountability was different in the early church than it is now. Peter had to come and stand before the entire community of believers, and specifically all of the leaders of the church, the apostles and the teachers, and he was questioned for the decision that he made. And it seems that there was no one who was in agreement with what he did. The problem was that he had gone to the home of a Gentile. He had gone to the home of a non-Jewish person, which sounds peculiar to us, because when we think of Christianity, it's distinct from Judaism. But if you go to the early church, there were no Christians who were not Jews at that time. The birth of the church, it was the Jewish phenomenon, and they saw Christianity as the fulfillment of Judaism, not as a religion separate from Judaism, but the true Judaism, the true fulfillment of all that was written in the law and the prophets. And there was this idea that the Gentiles weren't even supposed to be a part of it. Why? Because they're unclean. And the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, 
So how is it, Peter, that you went into the home of a Gentile and you ate with them? Number one, you're going into an unclean space. And number two, if you sit at the table and eat with them, you run the risk of eating food that has been sacrificed to idols, which means you might have inadvertently defiled yourself. The early church had not yet picked up on the methodology of Jesus. You see, if you read the Old Testament, there's a paradigm in the Old Testament called the defilement by association paradigm. And it goes like this. When something clean touches something unclean, the clean becomes unclean. But if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he reversed the defilement by association paradigm and established the sanctification by association paradigm. When that which is clean touches the unclean, the unclean thing becomes clean. So the woman with the issue of blood, for instance, Jesus was not supposed to touch her. And she was not supposed to touch him. When she touched the hem of his garment, Jesus was supposed to be unclean. But instead, the opposite happened. She became clean. And at the heart of the gospel is this sanctification by association paradigm. But the church hadn't picked up on that yet. Matter of fact, Peter hadn't picked up on this yet. So now he's got to explain himself. He's standing before the early church. And what he does is he recounts with the same details what happened a chapter earlier in Acts chapter 10. If you go to Acts chapter 10 and you read the, the narrative of what happened and then you read Peter's testimony of what happened, it's literally, Luke literally repeats this narrative twice. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. He repeats this narrative twice. He doesn't have to, but he does it on purpose. Why? He's signaling that this is of great importance because it represents a paradigm shift for the church. And it's a paradigm shift that actually many in the modern church 2,000 years later still haven't gotten. We still haven't figured it out. We're still operating, many of us, out of the Old Testament paradigm. That there are unclean spaces that you're not supposed to go into. But in actuality, what we discover is that God loves taking clean people and putting them in unclean spaces. He does so in order to redeem those unclean spaces. Now let's get into this a little bit. Peter is chilling in Joppa. It's a little town by the sea with his homie Simon, Simon the Tanner. And every morning, of course, they go to the time of prayer. But it's now noon, and Peter says, I think I'm going to go up on the roof and spend some time in prayer. He gets up to the roof and he begins to pray, and suddenly he becomes very hungry, the Scripture says. He's just starving. You see this in chapter 10, verse 6. Peter is starving. And so he rings a little bell. You know, Peter is like the preeminent apostle of the church at this time. So, you know, they, they took care of Peter. You know, if Peter was hungry, they fed the man. So the little guy comes up, says, what can I do for you? He says, I'm hungry. Can y'all make me something to eat? No problem. Lunchtime anyway. So they go down to the kitchen and they're preparing food. At that time, you know, probably had to kill it. And, you know, whatever they had to do, they're making Peter some food. So he says, I'm going to keep praying while you make the food. They said, cool, no problem. So Peter keeps praying and all of a sudden he falls into a trance which is not being asleep, but you're not fully awake either. He's somewhere in between. And he has a vision. It's not a dream because he's not asleep. 
but he sees in this vision a huge sheet descending from heaven to earth. And on the sheet, the scripture says that there were every, Peter says that there were every kind of four-footed animal and creeping thing of the earth. Literally, on this sheet was every kind of animal, every species of animal on the entire earth. Not counting fish, because there was no water there. Four-footed beasts and creeping things, it says. Tetrapods. And a voice says to Peter, rise, slay, eat. Rise, slay, eat. First thing that I notice about this passage is that Peter had asked somebody else to feed him. And God says, nah, get up, kill, and feed yourself. The first thing that I draw from this passage, the first application of this passage of Scripture, is that some of us are waiting for somebody else to feed us. Waiting for somebody else to make a way for us. Waiting for somebody else to open a door. Waiting for somebody else. You're waiting on a miracle, and you're expecting that miracle to come at somebody else's expense. You've asked somebody else to feed you, somebody else to prepare you food, and you've been praying, asking God to send somebody to give me this, or to send somebody to prepare this, or to send somebody to provide this, and God says, nah, you get up, you kill, you eat. That is, you are passive in the very place where God is calling you to be active. You're waiting in the very place where God is calling you to arise. Rise, Peter. Rise. Get up. Which means transition from a passive position to an active position. It means to assume a position that is prepared for action. Rise, Peter. Get up. I know you're hungry. Get up. Rise. You ever had somebody walk up on you? You know what I mean by walk up on you? Like they're about to do something to you? Like they're threatening to do something to you? But let's say you're sitting at the table at a restaurant and somebody walks up on you and you can sense from the energy that they're coming with that there's a chance they're going to do something to you. What do you do? You got two choices. Because you know if you get up, that's going to exacerbate the situation. If you stand up, the likelihood of there being a physical altercation immediately rises. However, if you stay seated, if they do attack you, there's no way you can defend yourself. Right? So if you stay seated, it increases the likelihood that there will be no altercation. But if there is, it also increases the likelihood that you will be hurt badly. So you have to make a decision. Do I stay seated or do I get up? And at a certain point, when the likelihood of them attacking you becomes clear that this is their intent, you get up. And when you stand up, I haven't attacked you yet, but I've taken an active position. Yeah. I haven't attacked you yet, but I've moved from a passive position to an active position. I've assumed a position that is prepared for action. When I stand up, I'm, I'm making a statement to you that says, I'm not about to hit you first, but if I see you making a move, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. I'm not just going to sit there and let you beat me up. No, I've, got, I've stood up. I'm ready to go. I have arisen from my place, and I'm ready for whatever you bring at me. Peter, rise. Stand up. 
I'm about to bring something to you, but you got to rise to get it. Stand up. I hear a lot of people say, God's called me to be a writer, but you ain't writing nothing. Well, I got writer's block, but you don't even sit in front of your computer with your fingers ready to write. If God could send you a whole book and you wouldn't even be in a position to write it because you don't even take the time to assume an active position in front of something to write with. You don't even own any pens. I hear people say, God's called me to be a model, but you're a sloth and you don't go to the gym. You ain't ready. You haven't taken an active position. Do a few push-ups, a few sit-ups, eat better, take an active position. If you need a job, get up and go look for one every day, right? Don't sleep in, get up early in the morning, shave, shower, put on your clothes and go look for work. Get into an active position. Oftentimes what hinders us from receiving what God has for us is we remain in a passive position and the sheet is coming down from heaven with everything you need, but you're just sitting there and you want God to kill it and skin it and cook it. And then you want him to take the fork and stick it into your mouth. And that's the only way you'll eat. Remember the core verse of this whole series is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you wealth. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't promise that the Lord your God will give you wealth. Nowhere in Scripture does it promise God's going to give you wealth. It says He gives you the power to produce wealth. There's a difference. Because the first is is passive, the second is active. And we've got, we've got a warped concept of blessing, don't we? Yeah. Our concept of blessing is always at somebody else's expense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My blessing is somebody else's loss, always. <laughs> he gave me a discount. He did it for 75% off. Praise Jesus, that's my blessing. How is that your blessing when he paid for it? <laughs> when, it when you got it at his expense? Huh. Abraham paid full price for Sarah's grave. He said, I don't want a blessing. The blessing for me is that God has given me the power to produce wealth. That's my blessing. That's the blessing I want. Rise, Peter. Get up. For some of you, it's just shifting your mind into an active position and making a decision. I'm not going to sit here and wallow anymore about what's happened to me, about what was taken from me that was rightfully mine about what was not given to me that was, should have been given to me, about opportunities that somebody else got but I didn't get, about a bad review that I got even though I deserved a better review. I'm not, maybe that's true, and I'm not saying that you don't have a right to, to notice those things. Yes, we have all experienced injustices, but n- there's a point at which you have to put that aside and make a decision, okay, that happened, but that's behind me, that's in the past, now I'm going to forget what's behind me and reach for what's ahead of me and press toward the mark of the high calling. Come on, that's right. Rise, Peter. Get up. Get up. Rise and slay. Rise and slay. Which is interesting. Rise and slay. Now, we all know, right? What is it, Isaiah 60? Rise, shine. (laughs) 
for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Every morning, my mother used to wake us up with that. Rise and shine. Give God the glory. <laughs> we even had a song. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Which is a very like hunky-dory, happy-go-lucky. But God doesn't tell Peter to rise and shine. He tells him to rise and slay. Rise, slay, rise, kill. Rise, kill, rise, kill. Do you ever recognize that the word to execute also means to kill? And when you execute a, a task, you killed it. When you execute an objective, you put it to death. Rise, slay. You need a rise and slay mentality. I'm a, from now, I'm waking up my daughter with that rise and slay. It's time to rise and slay. Come on, get up in the morning, get that shower and slay that must. And get to school and slay those classes and come home and slay that homework. You need to get that mindset about every obstacle that you're going to face in your life. Rise and slay. What are you going to do today? I'm going to slay. What are you going to slay? Whatever comes my way. Whatever I face, I'm going to kill today. I'm going to slay today. I'm going to execute today. You know who's been inspiring me is Kobe Bryant. I saw this interview the other day, and Kobe was talking about the Mamba mentality. And the, the guy interviewing him said, you know, Kobe, some people got it and some people don't. And you either got it or you don't. And if you got it, you got it. And if you don't, you don't. And Kobe just shook his head and said, that sounds like excuses to me. He said, if you don't got it, go get it. Figure it out. You got to solve the puzzle of your own life. And everybody's puzzle is different. You got to make a decision that you're going to get it. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Figure it out. And I'm talking to myself because I spend so much time crying over what I didn't get or what I didn't have. Disillusionment and disappointment. I've spent so many years of my life being disappointed because God didn't give me what I thought I was going to get. Do you know Rudyard Kipling? You know Kipling. Kipling said, if you don't get what you want, you either didn't want it or you're trying to renegotiate the price. Figure out the price and pay it. That's what it means to slay. It means to slay. It means I'm going to figure out how to kill this thing. That's what, Listen, I mean, if something is trying to kill you and you know you got to kill it, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. You're going to figure it out. This man over here, Justin Chan, this dude knows how to rise and slay. Yeah. My new podcast, The About the Benjamin Podcast, I interviewed this man, and you got, you're going to have to get that episode. You don't want to miss that episode because he faced a situation. Justin has a, an oil company, cooking oil. And when he took over the company, they had a very small market share in the Bay Area. And now to this, right now, about 90% of Bay Area restaurants use that man's oil. But for two years, he went to broker to, from broker to broker to broker to broker trying to pitch his oil, and they told him no. And he kept going back to the same people again and again and again and again. And they said, no, 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 no. And I said in the interview, and so that's the point where you realize this isn't going to work. And so you shut down the company. And he laughed because no, that's not what he did. Yeah. 
he kept going back to the drawing board saying, God, you're going to show me how to slay. You're going to show me how to slay this. And you know the strategy God gave him? Go around the brokers and go straight to the restaurants. You got to, I don't want to tell you the episode. You got to hear it when it comes out. You got to subscribe to the Bout the Benjamin podcast. It's live right now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See, see what I did there? See what I did there? <laughs> Figure it out. To slay is a mentality. Yeah. Execute. Get up and figure it out and kill it. Make a decision that you're not stuck in your current situation. Yeah. Make a decision that what you have now is not all that you're ever going to get. Yeah. And you're not simply waiting on the Lord. Yeah. We got it all wrong. Yeah. So many of us are waiting on the Lord. Bishop Kirby always tells us that there's three things that God will not do. Number one, God will not do again that which He has called done. Yeah. And number two, God will not do that which He has delegated to us to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then I can't remember the third one. It's not relevant anyway, but the second one. <laughs> God will not do that which He has delegated for us to do. And we've got this faulty concept of blessing. Let me, let me tell you, I got a buddy who started buying cryptocurrency 10 years ago. Yeah. He started buying Bitcoin. He was buying Ethereum when it was $2. He was buying Litecoin when it was a dollar. He was buying XRP when it was two cents. And he said, you know, people tell me all the time, you're so lucky. And I think to myself, lucky? I did hundreds of hours of research. I invested tens of thousands of dollars. I held through two multi-year bear markets and watched my investment go down 80% twice. And now 10 years later, people tell me I'm lucky. Luck's got nothing to do with it. Execute. Yes. You might tell Abraham, you're so lucky. God called you the father of many nations. Lucky? God told me to leave everything I knew and everything that I held dear and go to a place that he would show me when I got there. And I packed up everything and left, had to dwell in that land in the midst of famine, had to hold a knife over my son because God told me to kill him. The angel of the Lord stopped me. And now you tell me I'm lucky? To be called the father of many nations, luck has nothing to do with it. I got a word from God. I obeyed that word. I put my neck on the line. I took a risk that nobody else was willing to take. I had courage that nobody else had. I'm not lucky. I'm blessed. Yeah. Lucky? Somebody told me, you're so lucky to live on that big house on the hill. Lucky? Lucky? I'm not even going to start talking about it. But we made financial commitments to the Lord that were far beyond our ability to fulfill. We took steps of obedience and gave up. I can't tell you how many times she gave up her salary. First seven years, she didn't get one. And then when she got one, it was $1,000, $2,000. She gave it up multiple times. Multiple. We gave up our salaries multiple times. Why? In obedience to the Lord, following the Lord. And now you say, I'm lucky. I'm not lucky. There is no luck, my friends. Get that mindset out of your mind. There is no luck. Yes, the blessings of the Lord are free, but they are not cheap. He gives them to you freely and it costs you all you got. And that both of those things are true. You got to get up and you got to execute. You got to make a decision that you're not going to be sitting passively through the rest of your life. Get up and slay.
There are three levels of human happiness, three components. The base level, level is called pleasure. And you derive pleasure through the five senses of the physical body. You derive pleasure through the things that you see, the things that you smell, the things that you taste, the things that you touch, and the things that you hear. Yeah. That's where pleasure comes, directly through the five senses of the physical body. The next level of, 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 of human happiness is called meaning. And you derive meaning through the things that you produce, yeah. the things that you contribute to yeah. the world. You derive meaning through your work. You derive meaning through your service. When you serve another person on planet Earth, you derive a sense of meaning. When you produce something, you derive a sense of meaning through that. The last level, the highest level of human happiness is called covenant. It has to do with, or another word for it is righteousness. It means being in right relationship with God, with yourself, and with others, with your community. This is the highest level of human happiness, and this is a hierarchy of human happiness, which means that the best way to live is from the top down. Righteousness, righteousness first, then meaning, then pleasure. What happens when we've lost covenant and when we've lost meaning, all we've got left is pleasure and we give ourselves to it. Wow. When pleasure, and this is called idolatry, yeah. living a pleasure first life. Yeah. And typically, we use pleasure as an anesthetic to dull the pain of our loss of meaning yeah. and of covenant. Yeah. Because meaning and covenant, that's what our human, that's what you were created to have, to live with. That's the deepest level of need in the human person. And when you lose it, pleasure is simply a means of trying to pacify that pain. And this is the definition of addiction. Wow. How come you can't get enough? Maybe if you focused on reestablishing meaning and reestablishing covenant in your life, you would find that you didn't need so much pleasure. And guess what? If you stop, start from the top down, you can experience all kinds of pleasures, but you simply put some boundaries around pleasure and said, I'm not going to engage in any pleasure that nullifies my meaning or nullifies my covenant. That's called righteousness. And what happens when you put meaning at the top of the pyramid? All of a sudden, you're so meaning-focused, you're so focused on your work and your contribution and your legacy in the world that you forget about your family and you raise godless children and you might make a lot of money. And your meaning might go off the charts, but you've lost covenant. And now you've lost your marriage and you've lost your children. Both of those are idolatry, but when you put covenant first, yeah, yeah. righteousness first, my first priority is walking in relationship with God yeah. and in being in right relationship with the people around me, being in right relationship with my spouse, being in right relationship with my children, being in right relationship with my community, and then discovering my meaning within those covenants. Yeah, yeah. And then discovering pleasure within those covenants. Living from the top down is the highest form of human happiness. Yeah. And within that context, you discover how to rise and slay. But what you slay and what you eat will build your community rather than destroying it. Rise, slay, and eat. And Peter said, not so. Why did he say not so? Why did he protest? He said, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. On the sheet were clean and unclean animals. Number one, there shouldn't be any unclean animals on the sheet. And number two, now that they're all mixed up, even the clean animals are defiled. 
I mean, you can't take a cow, which we can eat, and, and have it mingle with pigs. In Jewish culture, they're both unclean now. They're defiled. The cow, even the cow is defiled. We can't even have beef. But on this sheet, Peter's seeing cows and pigs and chickens, and they're all mingled together. Peter said, I can't eat none of this. God says, no, you can eat all of it. And Peter says, no, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. And then what happens? It repeats itself again. The sheet comes back down. I mean, it disappears, and then the sheet comes back down from heaven. And the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. And then the vision disappears, and all of a sudden the sheet comes down from heaven a third time. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. He's like, Lord, no. I've never eaten anything unclean or common. He wakes up from the trance. And he's contemplating, what did that mean? That was weird. I wonder what that meant, that God wants me to kill and eat unclean animals. And God says to him, the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, there's some men who are looking for you downstairs. They're just arriving at your house. Don't ask any questions, just go with them. So he goes downstairs, just as Simon the Tanner is at the door, talking to these guys, and these guys say, we're looking for uh, Peter. And he's like, well, what are you looking for Peter for? Because these are Gentiles. Well, what are you looking for Peter for? So we want to talk to him. Well, what you want to talk to him about? Well, um, you know, we need, to, we need to talk to him. So well, just tell me what you want to talk. Because so, Simon's like, nah. Y'all Gentiles can't be seeing Peter. And Peter comes downstairs and says, it's okay, Simon, please come in. And he invites them in the house. Simon's like, whoa, you just invited these Gentiles into my house? So Peter says, why are you looking for me? And they say, our master, his name is Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. He loves the Jewish people. He's always giving offerings. He goes to the synagogue and worships the God of Israel. He was praying a couple days ago. And in a vision, an angel of the Lord came to him and said, Cornelius, all of your gifts to God, they've gone up as a memorial before God. So here's what I want you to do. Go to Joppa, look for the home of a guy named Simon, who's a tanner, and ask for a guy named Peter. He'll tell you everything that you need to know. So that's why we're here. And Peter goes, let's go. He's not only going to the home of a Gentile, but a Roman centurion who is an enforcer of the oppression to which the Jewish people have been subject, subjected for nearly 400 years now. First through the Greeks and then through the Romans. Peter's not supposed to have anything to do with this guy. Peter travels all the way back to the man's house and when he enters the home, it's not just the guy and his family, but he invited his neighbors. He invited his extended family. He's got cousins up in there, aunts, uncles, his mom and them. House packed full of Gentiles. It's a Gentile party. And when Peter walks in, Cornelius says, we are all eager to hear whatever you would have to say to us. And Peter says, dang, this is crazy. I now perceive that God is no respecter of persons. 
God doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what your background is. He doesn't see some people as clean and other people as unclean. He's simply looking at the heart. And what does Peter do? He preaches Jesus to them. They didn't know about Jesus. Notice the angel didn't preach Jesus to them. That's our job. God will not do that which he has delegated for us to do. Peter preaches Jesus. The whole household not only receives Jesus, but gets filled with the Holy Spirit on sight. And now Peter has to go back to the early church and explain to them that when God said, rise, slay, and eat, what he meant was, I'm going to send you into a space that you formerly thought was unclean, but I'm sending you there to slay. And you're going to eat the fruit of that as well. I'm sending you there to slay and to eat. Bishop Robert Daniels, you all know who he is, my spiritual father. Sonny and my spiritual father. His family just made a horror movie. His daughter wrote it. And then it takes place in St. Louis, Missouri, in the ghetto. And there's this undead Nazi, like, he's undead, so he's kind of like a zombie or something like that. And he's in the ghetto killing people with a sledgehammer. And there's cussing up in the movie, all kind of stuff. And some people questioned him. How could you allow your daughter to write a horror movie? Some people walked away from him. Sit and listen to their story. When they went to St. Louis to make that short, Bishop said, I'm going to be on the set every day. And his daughter was like, why do you need to be on set? He goes, no, I need to be on set. She's like, just go see mom's family. She goes, nope, I'm going to be on the set. And what was he doing? He was walking around that set, him and Pastor Diane, praying over people, laying hands on people. They had the, they had the monster, the zombie, crying <laughs> as they were laying hands on him and praying over him. And then he had to go out there and kill people with a sledgehammer. I mean, they hired seasoned actors, they hired a professional cinematography, they hired lighting crews, they hired sound, everything, the whole shebang. Professionals. And so many of them said, I've never felt so much peace as I felt on this set. This has been a life-changing experience, being on this set, being in this place. There was not a single member of that crew that they did not lay hands on and pray for and watch the Spirit of God come on in power. You know what? They went into a space that uh, us sanctified believers was, oh, I'd never go into that space. Oh, I'd never go. But God said, rise and slay and eat. And they went in there and they rose and they slayed and they ate. And you know what's crazy is that Rachel Short got accepted into two film festivals. Two prominent film festivals. And it's going to debut in mid-October in Los Angeles at one film festival and in another place. I don't remember what the second one is. The second one's even bigger than the first one. That's crazy. Are you ready for God to send you into an unclean space? A space that you never would have stepped foot in? It's amazing how religious we can be. Remember when I did that comedy show in 2016? And then I got vertigo afterwards? And one of my buddies called me, sanctified believer, God bless his heart. 
He said, when I heard you got vertigo after that, I thought, oh, the Lord didn't want him to do that comedy show. And I said, yeah, because that's what I would do to my kid. If my kid did something I didn't want him to do, I'd just smite him with sickness. If I were God, right? Of course not. Couldn't God just tell me not to do it? If he didn't want me to do it, did he have to smite me with sickness? <laughs> that's how we think, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. God doesn't want you in that space. Listen, if you would open your heart, God would send you into spaces that you have no, you would never see yourself in that space. You would never think of yourself as going into that space. God has doors that he's going to open for you that you never would have even thought to knock on. But first, you've got to assume the position. You've got to rise up in your heart. You've got to stop crying about what was or what wasn't. You've got to stop lamenting what you haven't been able to do. You got to make a decision. Okay, now it's time to slay. Yeah. Now it's time to slay. God wants to activate your heart today. God wants to wake you up today. Now it's time to slay. Yeah. Now it's time to slay. And can I tell you something? This message is for me. I'm preaching to my own soul today. Yeah. Because most of you know my journey, our journey, me and my wife, pastoring this church for 18 years, believing God called us to reach multitudes of people. And if, if you would have told us 18 years ago that we would have less than 200 people 18 years from now, we would have, number one, called you a liar and a false prophet. We would have renounced that and rebuked it in Jesus' name. And number two, I don't know, I might have just quit if, if, it was, if, if it was proved to me that it was true. I might have just said, then this isn't it, because God's called me to reach multitudes. You know how much disappointment and discouragement and disillusionment I've had to fight over the years? I've had to battle through, but in every season, and again this year, I went through it again, because I believe the only thing we were missing was a building. I firmly believed that. We brought in a consultant who looked at our whole operation, and he said, the only thing you're missing is a building. He said, if you had a building, you'd probably be a few thousand people by now. He came and looked at our whole operation. He sat in our services. He watched our live streams. He said, you got the whole package. Nothing's missing. All you need is a building. And sure enough, we got the building, and the, the waves started to build. I'll never forget when we did our grand opening last December. You remember, it was packed out, standing room only. Every facility was filled, and every toilet broke up, backed up in the entire facility. Remember that? No place to use the bathroom. We had, by the third week, we had a plumber on site through the whole service. In case something like that happened again, he would go in and take care of it right now. And when that wave was knocked down by COVID, and when we still haven't recovered, even to this day, we haven't recovered. Still haven't recovered. Still having to beg people to come to church. Even our online has dwindled, diminishedly. Diminishedly, that's not a word has diminished significantly. That's what I was trying to say. And I started to become aware of the fact that my heart was quietly resigning. Yeah. I found myself secretly asking questions like, am I done? And I found myself saying things like, I don't have the bandwidth I used to have. And then when we lost all of our staff members, that was the most discouraging thing because I thought, you know, 10 years ago, I would have known exactly what to do right now. We lose everybody, no problem. I can do it all. 
I would have risen up, let's go. But after 18 years, I don't have the bandwidth. That's what I was saying. I don't have the bandwidth that I used to have. Maybe I need to get out of the way and let a younger, younger pastor come in and, you know, maybe somebody else can take the church. See, I was, I was talking like I was 65 years old. <laughs> and I'm only 45. I think about retirement. Walking around with a walker. 45 years old. And I didn't realize that I was moping around in this state. I was just wallowing in a pool of disappointment. Don't get me wrong. The disappointment is real. You got you to let yourself feel it. I'm not saying don't let yourself feel it. But at a certain point, you've got to make a decision to get up. And as the Lord was speaking to me about this series in August, that's what I kept hearing the Lord say. Okay, Benjamin, you've cried for long enough. Enough. Now get up. Get up. Okay, you've got less than 200 people. Guess what? There are churches that have less than 20 people. Do you realize more than 80% of churches in the United States are less than 100 people? That means you're in the top 20% of churches in the United States. Even after the pandemic, you need to wake up and love the 200 people that you have and empower the handful of people that you have and stop crying about what you don't have. Get up and I'm going to give you new vision. Rise, slay, eat. Rise, slay, eat. Stop, stop concluding that what you have is all you're ever going to have. That your future is going to look like, like your past. Do you realize that if you and I sat in a room that was 10 degrees and you put an ice cube on the table, it wouldn't melt? Raise the temperature one degree, it still doesn't melt. Raise it another degree, it still doesn't melt. It doesn't start melting until you get to the 22nd degree. You know what happens is you try and it's like raising the temperature one degree and nothing changes in your life. And maybe you try for a year and it's up five degrees. And sometimes we quit right at that 22nd degree. I guess it's not going to work. When all it needed was one more push and suddenly you would start seeing something change. Don't give up. Make a decision. Make a decision. Do you realize that decision will not happen to you? You've got to happen to decision. Sinbad talked about people going to McDonald's and not being able to figure out what they want, even though McDonald's has had the same menu for 50 years. You knew the menu before you came in there. And what are you doing standing at the counter? Ah, ah, ah. And the menu on the left is the same as the menu on the right. Make a decision. You're waiting for your desire to be revealed to you from heaven. Decide what you desire. You don't need a revelation from heaven to know what you want. Make a decision. If you want to start a business, make a decision. I'm going to start a business. You see, there's a difference between saying, I want to start a business and, and, and saying, I'm starting a business. Those are two different positions. Make a decision and then figure it out. Work on it. Rise, slay, eat. If you're going to write a book, start writing today. Don't let the sun go down without you starting to write. And it doesn't have to be good. 
You just got to write. Write something. Do something. Rise. Slay. Eat. Rise. Slay. Eat. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would cause something to come alive in every soul in this place, in every heart in this place, in every mind in this place. I'm going to arise. I'm going to shift from the passive position to the active position. I'm going to assume a position prepared for action. I'm going to stop crying about what happened and what I didn't get and what doors didn't open for me. And I'm going to make a decision to open the doors, to knock and it'll, it'll open. Father, I pray today that you would break disillusionment and discouragement off of every soul. Break, and, it's, and I can look back and say, it was my fault. It was my fault. Oh, cool. okay, it was my fault. You're right, it was my fault. Sunday and I were talking about all the stuff that we quit over the last 18 years. Really, I quit. She, she protested every time. I have been the source of our inconsistency as a church for the last 18 years. We talked about how when we first started, all we did was Friday night prayer and Sunday morning service. And I I said to her in the car this morning, what if we were still doing Friday night prayer 18 years later? If we just didn't stop, if we just didn't quit. Man, Friday night prayer right now would just be the most powerful thing. What if we kept doing the internship? What if I kept that Tuesday night men's Bible study that I did? Man, those were powerful. What if we didn't stop? What if we didn't stop? What if we didn't stop? And I can look back on that and say, it's my fault. It's my fault. I quit stuff that were actually momentum builders. And so the momentum stopped, and it's because it's my fault. It's stuff that I quit. Okay, I can cry about it being my fault, or I can make a decision and say, okay, now that I realize that, I'm going to do different right now. Shame will stop you in your path, will hinder you from taking the next step. Shame will convince you that you're stuck. There's an insurmountable obstacle, and you'll never get past it. Drop it right now. Drop it right now. Forget those things which are behind and stretch toward those things which are ahead. Rise. Slay. Eat. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would grant clarity, that you would grant strategy, and that you would grant energy to every soul under the sound of my voice. I give you praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Come on, rise to your feet right now. Give God a shout of praise. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he work in you what is pleasing to him. May he fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. May he give you peace. I pray it in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.